Welcome to this Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series focusing on sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. I'm Mary Harvey, CEO of the Center for Sport and Human Rights. In this, our third episode, we will discuss the critical importance of the voice of the child, the need for role models and other persons of support for young athletes, and the necessity for safe and smart training plans as young people gradually return to sport. Thank you for joining us today, and here's your host, Kirsty Burroughs. Hello, and a warm welcome to this third episode of the Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series, focusing on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of encouraging and listening to the voice of young athletes when it comes to decision-making surrounding participation in sport. As we continue to navigate this new world, it's of paramount importance that young athletes are able to have their voices heard and that their views are placed at the very centre of all discussions affecting their involvement and well-being. During our discussions today, a Philippe Führer, former head of athlete education and youth engagement for the Youth Olympic Games and founder and chief engagement officer of INS Powered By, alongside many other roles, which I may ask you to share a bit more about Philippe, and Kirti Algo, chair of the Athletes Commission of the National Olympic Committee of Suriname and researcher at Anton de Combe University. A warm welcome to you both and thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for hosting us. <laughs> Thank you very much. Maybe, Philippe, would you like to first say a couple of other words, introduction on some of the the, the important work that you do around athlete education and engagement, and then I'll invi- invite Kirti as well to do a few words of, of hello or, or, or anything that you want to say as well as a way of introduction. Yeah, thanks, and please stop me when I get too passionate, uh, <laughs> Kirsty. Um, I, I, you know, I, I kept uh, mixing uh, professional and private involvement in, in youth engagement and youth empowerment. As you said, uh, I was in, in that role with the IOC and the Youth Olympic Games and, and got really passionate about the way we could engage young people, but go the, the, the deepest and the furthest possible, which is really empowering young people with with tools and, and seed funding and, and identifying and nurturing some amazing young talents who became social entrepreneurs uh, through sports. Um, but on, on, my, on the private side as well, I've been... Um, I, I founded and I am the, the chair of a, a charity in Western Switzerland, which uh, will celebrate its second, its tenth anniversary next year, and we are supporting young elite athletes as they emerge on the international stage. And, and believe it or not, but even in a rich country like Switzerland, when you are, um, you know, in archery, diving, or BMX, uh, there's not much money, virtually nothing. And sponsor number one is Dad and Mum. So we are a team of passionate people supporting about ten young elite athletes with not only a little bit of funding, but also a network of, of experts to reinforce their entourage. So great to be with you and, and, and addressing this uh, this sometimes dramatic situation in this uh, COVID with the young elite athletes. Thank you so much, Philippe. And that's really interesting because that time, the transition for young athletes as they move into the elite level is such a critical stage. And this brings us on really nicely to Curti. Kurt, it would be great if you could give us a bit of an introduction and, and tell us a bit more about the role of an athlete commission being the chair of your commission in Suriname. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Kirsty. Um, to be honest, it is actually uh, the first time in that I'm in such a role and I'm not that young anymore, I'm 36, but I have the advantage of uh, seeing both sides as an athlete 
as well as as a coach and as an official. So you get to see multiple sides of the same reality. And what what is important from my perspective is that when you want to to hear the voices of the of the athletes, it is important to involve the coaches as well. And maybe we can talk about it uh, later during this 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 program. Um, and I'm seeing this because of the experience we had as an uh, athlete commission with virtual sessions about mental health and safeguarding, where we thought that we could involve our athletes. And when the athletes attended those 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 sessions, I would like they they were like, no, but my coach hasn't talked about it. You should talk to my coach. So that that shows the 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 the, the missing link in our program as an athlete commission. But except for that, I'm also uh, the chair of the Gender Commission, uh, Gender and Sport Commission of our NOC. And I'm also a board member of the Suriname Olympic Academy. And the most beautiful part of my role is that I can streamline all, the, all those responsibilities um, depending on the target group and in this case, the athletes. So we are doing a very good job. I, would, I wouldn't say that it's perfect. We have our pitfalls and, and setbacks, but we keep pushing. And the best part of everything is that we get your support. We get the support of our, of our people, our friends. Thank you so much, Katie. So I'd, I'd like to both start off with asking you like quite a broad question. Um, we know that, you know, for many young athletes, they've, they may have spent the, the, the majority of their lives so far training for events which have now been cancelled or postponed. And we know that the impact of COVID-19, as we've seen a breakdown in social networks, we've seen breakdown in sporting networks. For elite young athletes, this can, be, this can have an overwhelming impact. So I'd like to, perhaps I'll come to you first, Phil, and, and then to you, Curtis. I'd like to ask, you know, how you envisage or, or how you've seen COVID-19 impacting uh, young elite athletes around the world and what your key concerns are. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to share maybe uh, an initial observations before talking about postponement, because I think um, beyond the postponement of, of events, there's really a lack of focus and attention on the needs of young people in general in the current situation. You know, all the focus uh from the start of the corona crisis has been on protecting all people and people at risk people with chronic disease who obviously are not young elite athletes so the well-being of of young people in general and more specifically of young athletes has probably been uh, essentially ignored uh for the best part of the year and and for too long now so um i'm seriously concerned uh, about the mental health and motivation of, of young elite athletes uh, at least some of them and we don't have a lot of of, of evidence or numbers yet because it's still very early so my concern would be on this um anxiogenic environments you know uh, we live in with a fear factor uh, for oneself and for uh, members of, of one's family so um i guess this is a little bit um uh, disturbing for a lot of young um, athletes the, this atmosphere of uncertainty and and uh, the challenge to be able to set plans and goals uh would probably bring a loss of focus uh, a loss of drive and motivation simply the fact that young lead athletes uh, struggle to self-assess improvements um you know how am i progressing is my workout and routine paying off um, that that's a challenge now because there's no competition uh, for many um, there's also i would say the potential loss of visibility and revenue uh, for many of them uh, lots of opportunities also for them to be seen, to shine on stage and to inspire other youth. 
um, in the in the communities, which I think is also a bit of a concern, more generally speaking, beyond just the population of young elite athletes. Um, there's also a lack of attention from the entourage uh, around the athletes uh, uh, that results from this sanitary crisis, of course. So mental disease, depression is a concern. Recently in Lausanne, the Olympic capital city, we've heard a number of uh, an increase of more than 40% in uh, pedopsychiatric consultations. So there's really a distress among young people. It's not a number that comes from young leaders, young people in general, but obviously it, it, it should uh, probably, most probably also uh, be a reality for, for young elite athletes. And, and finally, one last comment, maybe I see also an indirect uh, negative effect in that uh, the pressure and damage uh, occurring among uh, clubs and federations, which suffer um, some serious losses in funding, in membership fees, in ticketing, may have also a potential knock-on effect on the lack of support they can bring to their young lead athletes in that context. So. Um, yeah, uh, definitely uh, a period of, of concern and instability for these young guys. I think there's some incredible points there. And there is indeed a fear factor that surrounds COVID-19, understandably. And as you're saying, there are a multitude of health implications, including mental health and stress. And with schools being interrupted, training being interrupted, I imagine this is really quite difficult. And we really need to better understand the thoughts of young elite athletes and, and hear what they're going through and, and how they're coping. You know, how do we listen to these voices and ensure that these young elite athletes are heard and really hear what their reality is right now? Kirti, do you have any points you'd like to raise on that? Yes, Kirti. Um, I would like to share my experience uh, with Suriname. Um, maybe unlike other countries where you have a large population of uh, elite athletes in our country that that percentage is very small so we don't have international uh, a, a large number of international elite athletes however we do have um, top sport uh, people we have in for instance in my in my sports taekwondo we have uh, one athlete who is um, who was uh, preparing himself for the olympics and uh, things didn't go as he planned and what we see is that he is struggling to get back so he's not he's, he's not re really young but he is an elite athlete so when we discuss uh, the effects of the pandemic on the elite athletes and the young athletes we need to consider the context of the country um having said that so what what are the other experiences what i see in the clubs is that you 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 find athletes uh, being off focus uh, they don't have the same rhythm the training rhythm disappointed uh, some complain about weight gain and uh, they mention the eagerness for training sometimes to such an extent that you will that you will feel that they don't uh, like to obey or to be between brackets, obey the instructions of the coaches. So even the coaches tell them, um, try to do your warming up at home, do some stretching, uh, let's uh, let's have a Zoom meeting. Um, the the flexibility, the eagerness to participate are not there. This is not for all athletes the same, and it depends on where you are you will find some dedicated athletes uh, and when we talk about dedicated dedicated athletes then you are talking about 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 children 
who have the support at home. So when you have the support at home and the parents sit with them, uh, remember you have a Zoom meeting coming up with your coach or with the athlete commission, make sure that you attend. They, they organize the camera and they push their ad, they, they push the ch children to participate. Then you have another result. But there are also athletes who don't have those facilities, who don't have, who don't even have a proper internet connection. And not even talking about about athletes in the interior who don't who don't have the devices. So the experiences of um, athletes and, and of young athletes and elite athletes they, they they differ. They differ by region. They differ by socioeconomic situations. They differ by support at home. Uh, and, and, and another thing that that also that also plays a role in this whole picture is the role of the club, the coaches. Uh, we have seen that even coaches were struggling to to find a way um, to in, in in dealing with 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 the crisis. Uh, they they have their professional life. They have their uh, their role as a coach. Uh, they, they they are volunteering because it's part of their of, of of their free time. And sometimes you see that they, they don't even um, they don't even find that balance, and that has consequences for how they guide their own club, how they guide their athletes. And this was my particular experience when I was doing the, the mental health sessions and the safeguarding sessions. It was so extremely difficult to mobilize athletes for those sessions. There were, there were coaches who said, yes, but I'm really tired. I send them texts, but they don't respond. The energy simply to take the phone and make some calls to parents. Hello, uh, there is uh, there's a mental health session. Would you like your, uh, your, your child to, uh, to participate or can you mobilize your child to participate? Even that energy was not there. This is just to, to, to tell you that when we talk about the effects of the pandemic on the, on the, uh, on the uh, young athletes and the elite athletes, they differ. Thank you so much, Kirti. That's a really interesting point. And I think what I'm hearing from both of you actually is that trying to maintain that motivation, considering, well, first of all, we're in a very unique and stressful time and the everyday difficulties or stresses that young elite athlete might have to face is, are being compounded, um, obviously, by, by COVID and being in a time with a lot of fear, a breakdown in normal networks. Uh, trying to maintain that motivation uh, must be extremely difficult. And it's something I'm hearing from both of you there. Phil, would you have any recommendations on how we can try and keep the engagement with young athletes who are potentially struggling to maintain motivation during this time as they build back to participation in sport? Well, I guess it's a, it's a matter for the entire entourage of the athlete to, to, to be attentive, motivating, soft, caring and listening. It's, it's about parents, it's about coaches, doctors and the peers as well, because what uh, young elite athletes and, and all uh, teenagers suffer from is the lack of uh, uh, social contact and interactivity uh, and I have teenagers at home so I know what this means when they they have less opportunities to party to meet to to meet at events etc so it's a matter for for all of this uh, entourage to be to be attentive and, and caring to take the example of coaches I know it, it's hard for their own motivation as well but they they have to to go the extra mile to find some innovative training approach innovative opportunities to use whatsapp groups and, and and zoom communications to send out challenges and, and innovative workouts um to uh to the athletes and 
another thing that we, we, we could imagine is also enabling young elite athletes to share their stories, to write down their stories and fears and concerns, not necessarily to be shared, but, but at least to give them the opportunity to put that down on paper or on a screen to be able to express some of their concerns and fears. And, and beyond these points, I think there's really a question here about the role of, of uh, governing bodies, federations and clubs. You know, to what extent are they ready uh, to be dealing with fragile minors? And uh, I hope I hope we can learn from this uh, crisis and, and be ready next time around when uh, young young people suffer from uh, shutdowns and cancellations and that we have readiness plans to, to cater to that particular group of people. Thank you very much, Philippe. I think it's some really, really, you know, empowering the entourage. I think, as you say, it's going to be one of the, the one of the key um, key steps. And and I think you, I completely agree that that innovative approaches to trying to maintain motivation during this time is going to be hugely important because, of course. Um, it is extremely difficult. Everybody, I think, is suffering from a, from a struggling with motivation at this time. And if you're a, a young elite athlete who also has school and the delay of school and, and extra homework or extra things to, to try and catch up with school, which has been disrupted, as well as trying to keep up with your training without that face-to-face go or that contact, or you know, that's going to be really difficult. And, you know, Curti, it would be great to hear also having been an athlete um, yourself, the importance of that team dynamic or or even that entourage dynamic, how important that is. And if, if you've got any recommendations for how we can continue to have that team dynamic and that and that engagement um, to help young athletes, even as uh, teams aren't able to perhaps meet as they would before. Well, actually, uh, we did that. Uh, we started with our outdoor practice in small groups, and that really helped me personally. You know, I was like, "Yay, I'm going, I'm, I'm coming to practice. I'm going to have some exercise with my people." Just simple, the social contact it gives you so much energy. And I recall that during during one of the uh, mental health sessions uh, with our athlete commission, one of the athletes said. Um, the most disturbing part during during uh, this period is that I miss the contact with my peers. And she said that she was like 12 or 13 years old or maybe younger. Um, she was she said she said that that was the hardest part. She was missing her friends. Um, fortunately, we are having a better situation now in Suriname. Our COVID team, emergency team, has developed protocols for all those sports. We are not allowed to have close contact, but uh, there are there are guidelines how to have uh, sports uh, events and training outside. So many clubs, as far as I know, are trying to implement that. But uh, we are now closing this year, uh, so everyone is like, okay, let's let's wait, let's wait for a few weeks, and after the holidays, we can we can start again. But as as uh, Phil mentioned, it is important to to look at the role of the entourage, you know, the parents, the the coaches, and and other groups. They are very important in facilitating the expression of the athletes. Sometimes um, you have to, to you, you should know your athletes. Some athletes talk, others don't. And who is standing in front of you? My experience is that those who talk, that's not a problem. Those who don't talk, that's where the challenge is. We've had athletes in our club. Um, 
who because of the the, the lack of social contact started a, a, a video challenge he said you know what everyone in this whatsapp group let's see how much energy do you have let's see what's your stamina and post a 30 second video well you don't want to know we've got all those videos in a whatsapp group that parents started to complain about their phone memory capacity <laughs> and uh, but that was really an, an, an important part to get the group dynamic uh, to stimulate the, the group dynamics and also to show the importance of remaining fit um, while we are talking about this about this subject, I'm getting I'm getting text messages from parents who ask, "When are you going to start the training?" And uh, yes, we we try to work with them together. And um, and in, in in our case, well, there are there are good prospects. Thank you so much, Kirti. There's some really great insights there as well. And I think one thing that you both touched upon is, as, as you said, Kirti, it's the children that you don't speak to that you're also trying to understand. And also, as you mentioned, the potential for us to maybe increase our resilience to crises is one of the most important lessons, considering the rights of children and the right to have their voices heard. Phil, would you have any recommendation for clubs or schools or organizations maybe to say, hey, look, hang on, it's really important to try and capture the voices of our young people and their experiences during this time so that we can learn from this and, and learn from them. How might we hear those voices? I'd, I'd love to hear some of your suggestions, Phil. I, th I think the first consideration is to really consider these young people not just as a target as a target group, but as as a, as a true uh, stakeholder to be put around the table, and giving them a voice and giving them a seat around the decision table is is very important in general, and and even more important right now. So there's there's indeed a question of how you document that, how how you keep track of that, uh, what are the key lessons, and 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 we are too much into the crisis to be able to take all these lessons home. I think we need to really debrief properly and and collectively so learn from each other as well uh, in the sports community because uh, it's it's I'm 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 sure it's too early uh, but but as I said giving channels and opportunities uh for for these young people to uh, put their concerns into words um is an important process I think uh for them to uh, to become more resilient and to move on and find their motivation back again yeah, I completely agree. And I think one of the things that you also mentioned earlier on, um, Phil, is the, the you know, we, we are seeing that the COVID-19 pandemic is, is giving rise to many shadow pandemics. And this, you know, the impact on mental health, the impact on physical health, uh, the detraining as well, if, if athletes are struggling with motivation, is going to be a factor. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about, you know, the sporting calendar and, you know, any considerations that we should think about when we are looking to start to host sporting events again, um, any, any considerations that we should bring bring on board when we consider that, you know, not only have we have a, had a hiatus in normal training, that's perhaps a simplified view, that hiatus has also potentially given rise to many other things. There's also increases in domestic violence at the moment. There's increases in children witnessing domestic violence. There's uh, in magnifications of, of inequalities. And we're going to be speaking about this throughout the podcast series. But, um, you know, what, how do we need to, how can we take this into account when we are looking at when sport resumes? How can we look at the child athlete as a whole person, consider their experiences during this time to try and give um, advice to sports organizations on the sort of rescheduling of events and and uh, and how to help and support young athletes as they return to play. Would you have any suggestions for us, Kirti? 
Yes, yes, Kirsty. Um, it is what we do at uh, at our school is we have extra sessions, uh, sometimes individual sessions with athletes, of whom you know that they are struggling with the effects of the crisis. And another thing is that um, that's, that's that's another uh, group. They have after after the training in small groups with social distance and um, hand sanit. Uh, hand sanitization, they have these feedback moments where they just simply sit and talk about how they feel about the whole situation and how they want to make progress. We started, for, 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 for instance, with basic training, basic training like simply warming up, stretching, nothing too sophisticated, very simple exercise. And do not even talk about about tournaments or our of, of about, or about competitive events because it the, the gap the emotional gap the mental gap between where you are right now and where you have to be during the event is too big so what we did in our group is we started with simple exercise just get to back in the rhythm um, start to feeling your own breath when you when when, when you are having a tough exercise um getting familiar with the movements getting familiar with the group and and developing that cohesion that was our first step and now we have we have done that we, we moved to the second one okay now we go to level of excellence what is feasible for you what is the time what is your infrastructure what is your home setting and based on those individual testimonials, the, the, the club is organizing a collective training schedule, which um, helps the group to prepare for a competitive event. So that is how, how one of my groups um, is tackling the situation. But there are other groups who have no clue how to deal with it. They just... Um, uh, how, how do you say it? It, it, it is like they, they get they get frightened um, because of the, the the huge gap between where they are right now and where they want to be. If we are going to focus too much on where we want to be and we we, we, we lose the connection where, with where we are, I think we won't we won't make it in the future. So we have to we have to um, set uh, goals which which are practical. That's the first thing in my in my view. And the second and the second uh, part is make space, make space for for building resilience, make space for expression, make space for for contact. Because we have been for for, for such a long time, we have been out of touch. We don't know what it between brackets we don't know what it is to be as a group in a in in, in a um in, in a setting to practice to feel each other it's, it's it's different thank you very much Curti. and philippe would you have any other points that you might like to raise on this well i, I would i would call a spade a spade and i think the the challenge number one might be overtraining and over competing and it's it's responsibility of all coaches, uh, members of the entourage and clubs, etc., to agree and understand that there's no way we can catch up with times and they should listen to the athletes and an athlete should be allowed to skip a training session if they feel tired uh, because a lot happens at their age in terms of physical evolution and, and, and sleep and all the concern that they had, uh, the anxiety they had to digest over the months. So get back to 
normal but slowly and surely and and while listening to their needs on an everyday basis is should be really the focus i would say yeah i think this is really clear and the overarching messages that i'm hearing from from both of you is that we need to be realistic and not say when training gets back to something similar to what what was previously considered normal that suddenly we've now got to achieve everything that we wanted to achieve before but in a shorter time frame that's probably not going to be realistic and we need to to really ensure that we listen to athletes and I like what you said as well Curti about making sure we make space for listening and knowing how they're feeling instead of just purely focusing on performance I'd also like to speak a little bit around, and uh, Philippe, I'd really, be really interested in, in hearing some of your thoughts about this, because obviously one side of it is sports events have been postponed. We will probably have a very saturated sports calendar afterwards, and how do young athletes deal with this? The other um, impact I'd like to speak about, Philippe, is some of the knock-on effects. Um, you know, We know that um, major sporting events um, have huge potential, massive cultural and educational programs that benefit and serve yo- local children and young people. Um, and we know that, for example, uh, during the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro, an education program called Transformer was made available to over 8 million students across 26 Brazilian states and had a great success. So I'd love to to talk to you a little bit about sort of, we've spoken about the elite athlete, the elite young athletes. What about um, children and young people in the host cities or countries, the youth engagement. Is there, is there a potential to hold some of these programs that, um, online? Is there, how do we engage with these children for whom these educational cultural programs that surround major sporting events can be, you know, a fantastic uh, w- method of youth engagement? Yeah, thanks, Kirsty. Um, effectively, we're here talking about um, having solid and ambitious youth engagement programs, which may have different focus areas, sports participation, value education, uh, or you know specific targets such as gender equality, conflict resolution, etc. And we've seen some good examples indeed. But but let's be honest. Um, to me, this sector uh, is still um, very much in its infancy and just a dwarf right now. Uh, the focus is still in the industry about delivering an event. Uh, and I do hope that we will see more and more uh, of the event industry and and um, and, and leading governing bodies uh, invest more on the before and the after uh, of, of the events to engage with more local youth and national youth and deliver some uh, really solid youth and sports uh, legacy. Um, so a, a long way to go um in in this area can we go online to compensate yes we can but it's never going to replace the physicality uh, of sports um the opportunities to meet to learn how to win and lose uh, the energy expenditure and, and and the joy of being on on the field of play um I, w- I would say that my concern right now when it when it comes to these development programs is is less with the major event industry and more with the regular sports for development organizations you know there are hundreds if not a couple of thousands of non-governmental organizations that are leveraging on sports and physical activity to address some of the sdgs being education employability uh, conflict resolution etc and these guys are really badly hit by COVID in terms of funding sources, uh, first of all, they had to completely redirect their focus and funding to uh, more urgent matters than really getting kids active because of, of the, the physical constraints and legal constraints. But uh, many of them are really um, uh, concerned about um, their sustainability, financially speaking. So 
the event can do uh, that much in terms of engaging with the local youth and delivering uh, youth and sports legacy. But let's look at the, 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 the general needs of the industry uh, out there as well. Very well put. And potentially look at also how we can encourage the further development of these programs and initiatives for youth engagement. We know that hosting a major sporting event can lead to fantastic educational and cultural programs for local youth development. And as you say, perhaps it's, you know, that's still in its infancy in some areas. So maybe this downtime could present an occasion uh, where we might explore those opportunities and also really reinforce the importance of sport as a tool to engage with children and to develop and implement cultural programs which can really have a long-lasting impact and legacy. One of the other questions I wanted to ask you is in regards to the safeguards that should be put into place when we're looking at reorganising sporting events and the sporting calendar. How do we ensure that the health and well-being of athletes is always considered first before any other potential benefits uh, to, 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 to different organisations when we're looking to reschedule sport events? I mean, there's been concerns about the ethical side of sport recommencing and what safeguards should be put into place you know, we can consider that the impacts of COVID on the mental health and physical well-being of athletes, um, as we've discussed through this series, is a multitude of different impacts, and that might have a consideration for the rescheduling of competition. Would you have any recommendations to organisations of how they can try and really strike that balance? Yeah, th thanks, Christy, for for the question. Um, I liked uh, some of the words that were used in a, in an article that um, which link you, you you sent to us in preparation. Um, it said that athletes should not be considered, you know, commodity within a lucrative commercial industry. And I think this is so true. Um, the idea is not rushing to getting uh, back into business uh, in a normal mode. So th there's, there's a point here about listening to the needs of these young elite athletes and not just listening, but defending the interest. And, and can they do it themselves? In some cases, yes, but in some other cases, you need uh, to refer to their entourage and maybe some representatives of the young elite athletes. And I'm, I'm here wondering whether um, uh, recently retired big champions and role models could also uh, get into play, you know, by partnering uh, some of the big names in sports with a community of young elite athletes and, and, and making sure that um, these more senior uh, poster boys and girls and, and big names can actually stand up and defend um, the, the well-being uh, of of young elite athletes, so I think that's something we should we should consider. And of course, structurally speaking, maybe looking at um, the the governance of the sports organisations and making sure that we use and leverage this crisis as an opportunity to really build up the um, youth representativity into the governance of these uh, organisations is also an important point in the long term. I, I think. I think this is a, a really good point you mentioned. You've actually spurred me on to ask another question <laughs> because, you know, we are um, more and more seeing um, everything being pushed online, obviously, with the lack of face to face contact, everything being pushed online. And that comes with its own challenges and how do we ensure children, uh, children stay safe online. Um, but it also means that potentially um, role models or, um, or organizations have a, a huge potential, especially role models with a, with a large following. They really do have a, 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 do they have a role to play here in, in trying to look at imagining what they were like, especially these athlete role models, what they, what, what it was like for them when they were a young elite athlete or, and trying to help to engage with athletes in that way. Would you, would you consider that there's some programs like this? 
Oh yes, definitely. I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to um, to to lead with my team this athlete role model programs at the Youth Olympic Games, and you you saw that, Kirsty. It's a very powerful uh, tool, and it works so well. It is so enlightening and empowering, both for the young elite athletes, but also also for the champions to be given an, an opportunity to invest their time and energy. Uh, to give back to sports and to share their own experience and some of the do's and don'ts with the young elite athletes. So in this particular crisis, I think that it it would be great to see some some of the top names in sport to stand up and, and defend the interest and integrity of their young peers. Definitely. And perhaps also potentially talk to them about sharing motivational tips or how to keep themselves motivated. And so I think that's a, a, an, an incredible idea. And, and one of the takeaways that certainly I'm taking from this from this podcast, I've got so many key messages from yourself and Kirti, but I think the role of role models right now uh, so hugely important, especially seeing as unfortunately so much of the engagement with with young people is now online because of the pandemic. Um, using that basis and that foundation to really share positive messages um, would be potentially hugely helpful. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd like to pose a final question to you both. And that's if you could share one key message with young athletes who feel as if their voices might be getting lost right now. What would that be? I'll come to you first, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Christy. Um I'd probably say, don't worry, just do it uh, one day at a time and, and stay focused as much as you can on what you do best. Uh, but also, whatever happens and whatever the pressure upon your shoulders, make sure you are not um, forced against your will to train harder, to ignore an injury or line up too many competitions to catch up with the lost time. And also remember, you you have all faced the same challenge around the world. It's not a continental or country crisis, it's a global crisis. You are all on the same boat and it will be probably those with uh, the biggest resilience and patience as well, who will come out stronger, uh, not only on, but also beyond the field of play. Um, I would probably also recommend they write uh, their thoughts and doubts and questions and anger and concern down on, on paper or on screen and, and, and feed their blogs or, or stories, not necessarily to be made public, but at least to vent and to share some of their inner feelings. And, and do not hesitate to seek advice and support. Uh, don't put up with the unbearable. Identify the most trustworthy and, and caring member of your entourage. And um, when you feel in danger, go to them and open up. Thank you. That was an incredible summary of some of the key messages to young athletes and really powerful. Um, I'd like to ask you, Curti, as well, if you have one key message that you would like to share to young athletes who might feel as if their voices uh, are getting lost right now. Don't get demotivated. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. So this will pass and keep, keep practicing, keep exercising. We will get there. Thank you so much. And uh, I think this has been a really fantastic session. I'm re really, really um, pleased to speak to both of you. And I think uh, some really key motivational messages there for young athletes and also some hugely important messages um, for sports organizations, for entourage members and for athlete role models who are out there as well on, on what they can be doing to really try and help young athletes, young elite athletes, as they, like everyone, uh, are going through an extremely complex and challenging time at the moment. I'd like to say a huge thank you to our amazing guests, Philippe Führer and Curti Algo, 
We really hope that you'll join us next time when we'll focus on the incredible growth of the esport industry and the impact that the pandemic is having both on the industry as well as those participating. For more information on this series, please visit the Centre for Sport and Human Rights website at sporthumanrights.org and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sport and Human Rights. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to next time.